In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Apostle Peter delivers the very first sermon of the church to a crowd of thousands of people filled with families, sons and daughters, the young and the old, people from all over Jerusalem who have come to celebrate a festival. Peter he stands up on this day of Pentecost and, and he begins his sermon by quoting an obscure minor prophet from the Old Testament, the prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28, that is a verse worth taking to heart and meditating on. Not just because it's the first verse in the first sermon on the first day of the church, but because of what it says. Peter stands up and he says to the crowd that what was uttered through the prophet Joel, that is what is happening before you right now today. And then he quotes Joel 2.28, which says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What does it mean to prophesy? A word, it can be misunderstood in our day and age. Sometimes people think that to prophesy is to like predict the future or something like that. But to prophesy is simply to proclaim God's word, what God says, what God has done, either in the past or now in the present or, yes, in the future. Prophesying, that's what all the Old Testament prophets did. They prophesied, they proclaimed, they spoke God's word, what the Lord told them to say. Think of the great prophets of the Old Testament. Ezekiel, he's sent by God saying, you shall prophesy against the city of Jerusalem. And so he goes to Jerusalem with a word from God. Or think of Isaiah, the great prophet, who, who in the beginning of his prophecy, he says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Think of, think of Jeremiah, who challenges the false prophets of his own day, those within the very congregation of Israel. What does Jeremiah prophesy? He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. See, this is what it means to prophesy. The Old Testament prophets show us Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, all the minor and major prophets. To prophesy is to speak God's word. And of course, that's a good thing, to speak God's word. But, but here's the problem with prophesying in those days. It was limited to a very, very select few. To proclaim God's word, you had to be one of the very few chosen and sent by God, and God just didn't send everyone. You couldn't just start prophesying. You had to be one of the, the very small, it was only a handful at a time that God would send prophets throughout the centuries of the Old Testament. It was very restricted, very narrow, very limiting. But, but look, what, what does Joel proclaim about the last days? In the last days it shall be, God declares, 
that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. All flesh. We're talking about that which was fundamental to the life of Israel. Hearing God's word, proclaiming God's word, living according to God's word. It was once so limited, now suddenly open to all. All flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What a sweet freedom that would be. That would be for all of God's people. And that, Peter is saying, that is what is happening right now on this day, right before your very eyes. I think of um, like a, a secret family recipe that your grandmother or your mother makes and you only get to enjoy it maybe once or twice every year. You, you receive it, you get to taste it on maybe Christmas and Easter, but, but other than that, it's very limited to you until one day your grandmother sits down or your mother sits down and, and they, they give you the secret family recipe. And now what was once so limited and in, in, in kind of cut off from you, now it is suddenly opened up before you. You can enjoy that food every day of the year if you want to. You can make it for your friends and your family. It, and, and now you can enjoy it all the time. Or think of the first day that you got your license and the keys to your car and you fired up that engine and you went out on the open road all by yourself. You picked up your friends. And, and, and what was once so restricted, so limited, so narrow, now, now it's wide open. The, the highways themselves are opened up before you and you can travel anywhere that you want to as long as you're home by nine. Back to Joel 2.28. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. All flesh shall prophesy. Proclaim God's word. And then we get these words. Peter says, again, quoting the prophet Joel, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saints, that right there is prophesying 101. That's the entirety of all the prophets, all of God's word in a nutshell. That's the very heart and mission of the church, to proclaim what God has done in Christ Jesus, past, so that all might be saved, present, so that on the last day, future, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. That is to prophesy, to proclaim God's word in the past, in the present, and in the future about Jesus' saving death on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead and his promised return so that all who believe in his name shall be saved, forgiven, set free, redeemed, the highway to heaven itself opened up before him, the sweet freedom of the gospel theirs all by God's lavish grace given through faith on account of Christ Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What sweet words to prophesy, to speak, to hear, to live by. Look at then what happens when Jesus comes into the world that he made. He is far greater than all the prophets of the Old Testament. He doesn't just come with a word. He is the very word of God made flesh. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, God Almighty. And he comes prophesying 
proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He came for all people, all sons and daughters. And yet Israel bound him. They put him on trial and they condemned him to death. They put a purple robe on him and a crown of thorns on his head. They struck him in the face and spit on him. And they mocked him saying, Prophesy to us now, O Christ. Prophesy to us. Who was it that struck you? They don't see him as one of the chosen few sent by God. And so they killed him. They silenced him. They filled his mouth with vinegar and gall. They shouted him down on the cross. He died silently to the deafening taunts of the mob, silenced by the crowd, by the religious leaders, and by the governing authorities. So it goes for the Christian in our world today. What happens when you need to speak God's word? When you need to speak for Christ, when you have something that you know that you need to say, what does the world teach us? Oh, you can't say that here. Nope, you cannot talk about God here. You'll get labeled, you'll be mocked, you'll be taken less seriously. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. You're not allowed to speak about your faith in this place. You could be fired. That goes against our company policy. There's laws against you speaking about God, you know. The world wants to silence you, dear Christian. But you are not meant for silence. I don't want to overstate this, but a word that I hate in our day and age, tolerance. Tolerance, this word, it is such a shallow thing. And again, don't hear me wrong. Tolerance is, of course, a good thing, and we should all strive to be tolerant of one another, of course. But, but to strive for that, I mean, that's like the bare minimum for humans. Tolerance is so narrow. It's so limiting. Tolerance says, hey, you, you think this, or you do this, or you are this, but I think that, or I am that, or I do that, and, and that's okay. Let's just tolerate one another and get along. Like, what is that? That's our aim with people now. Like how, how low have we fallen as a civilization if tolerance is the thing that we are all aiming for? Christians are not called to some bland toleration of one another. We're called to love. All right, who of us says to our spouse before they, before they walk out the door, honey, I tolerate you. Of course we don't. Because tolerance is so narrow. It's so little. It's, it's such a limiting thing. But love, love goes deeper. Love goes wider. Love, it goes to the greatest lengths. It dares to embark on the most challenging and sweetest of adventures. Love, it risks it all for the sake of the other. Tolerance, it's, it's content to just let you be, no matter what you think, no matter what you do or say. But love, love isn't content to just let you be in anything other than the truth and in God's love. Love challenges all falsehood. Love strives for the truth. Love seeks and it presses and, and it makes sacrifices. Love gives everything and it risks everything, all for the good of the other. As Thomas Aquinas once so beautifully said, that love, it wills the good of the other. 
And that takes sacrifice, you see. See, the reality of, the, of our modern-day tolerance is that this word is so often wielded, I fear, to silence the voice and the love of Christians. Tolerance today, it's devolved into exactly what it meant in Rome 2,000 years ago, when, when all views were tolerated, all religions were tolerated and welcomed, just not the Christian one. Like, look up the decree of, of Emperor Septimus Cerevis in Rome which stated that, that thousands of religions, literally anything under the sun, was tolerated except Christianity. Christianity was punishable by death. And that's tolerance. We tolerate all people, unless you're a Christian. Then you can't speak in the public square. Then you can't speak about God at your school. You can't speak about God on social media. Our church, our own church, was banned from Facebook a few years ago when we tried to advertise, simply advertise a community event we were having at our church for grieving mothers who had lost children in the womb or at birth. And Facebook said, no, that's hate speech. <laughs> Proclaim the love of Jesus today and you'll be banned. You'll be deleted, canceled. It's, it's our world's way of filling our mouths with vinegar and gall. And that's not tolerance. This modern-day word tolerance, it doesn't even meet the extremely low standards of its own definition. Tolerance is nothing more than intolerance, cloaked in the language of tolerance, and it's all designed to do one thing, to silence your voice. And not your voice, but, but God's voice, who in the last days speaks through you, his son, his daughter. In the last days I will pour out my spirit and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Woe to us Christians if we do not speak the gospel. Woe to us who shrink back from speaking God's word in the face of our day and age because we're afraid of losing our jobs, our reputations, our businesses, the things of this world. Woe to us if we, if we fear speaking God's word to a person right in front of us when we know that's what they need to hear because we're afraid of our company policies. Woe to us when we think that there's little harm done when God's word is restricted and bound and we're not allowed to speak it freely and the places that we work, or learn, or live. Christians were not meant for silence. We were not meant for bland toleration of one another or the status quo of our culture. We were meant to speak and to proclaim God's word to a lost and dying world filled with hopeless and helpless sinners just like us. And we were meant to love risking everything for their sake so that the person who is stuck in their hopelessness might hear the good news of Christ and call upon his name and so be saved. Think of Telemachus as a Christian during the turn of the fourth century. He, he, he's, he's in a culture that celebrated the gladiator games. The entire culture was turned against Christ, celebrating these fights to the death of prisoners of war 
when just a hundred years earlier, it, it used to be Christians in that stadium being fed to lions. And Telemachus, what does he do? He doesn't keep silent. He, he doesn't just tolerate that some people enjoy the slaughtering of other people for sport. No, he rushes right into the stadium and he proclaims God's truth. And the unruly crowd of 80,000 so-called Christians, they stone him to death. Right there in the stadium. See, it's love that drives Telemachus to give up his life for the sake of the truth. It's not tolerance that does that. And what happens? The emperor immediately suspended the games. And the word that Telemachus shared, it sank deep. And from that moment on, the gladiator games were no more in Rome. Think of Justin Martyr, a Christian from the second century, who when the Roman government issued their, dec their decree that all religions were allowed and tolerated except Christianity, Justin Martyr made a stand. He took a stand for Christ. He, he staked his life upon his word. And when the judge, the, the prefect Rusticus, ordered him at his trial on June 1st, 168, saying, Approach and make a sacrifice to the gods of Rome, and if you do not obey, you will be tortured without mercy. Justin Martyr responded, That is my desire, to be tortured for my Lord Jesus Christ, and so be saved, confessing his name which caused the prefect Rusticus to order Justin Martyr beheaded in the court for confessing Christ as Lord. But look at what happens. It's not toleration that drove Justin Martyr, but love. And, and that word, it, it sank deep, and, and more and more and more people came to the saving knowledge of Christ in that culture. Think of Jan Hus, a, a Christian during during the 1400s, early 1400s, he, he takes a stand against the leaders of his own church body, just like the prophet Jeremiah. What does he do? He's not silent. He doesn't just tolerate corruption from within the body of Christ. He proclaims the truth. He stands on God's word. He proclaims that the church, even the Pope, must be under the authority of the scriptures alone. And only God's word can be the foundation of truth. And what happens to him? He's burned at the stake by the religious leaders of the day on July 6th, 1415. It's love that causes him to, to risk it all and give up his life for God's word. But look at what happens. A hundred years later, that word sinks deep and a young monk named Martin Luther, and the Reformation was born. And today, millions and millions of Christians look to the scriptures alone for truth. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Sons and daughters of the Lord, you were not meant to be diminished and restricted to a darkened and narrow corner of this world. You were meant and created to be a light on a hill, to speak, and to proclaim God's saving work in Christ Jesus so that all might call upon his name and be saved, so that on the last day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the praise and glory of the Father. One last thing. 
On the night before his death, Jesus, he, he speaks the last words of his prophesying before taking up his cross. What does he say? He says, take and eat. This is my body. Take and drink. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. What's he doing? Listen to what St. Paul says. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. What's he talking about? Joel chapter 2 verse 28. That in the last days it shall be, declares the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, proclaim. When you eat this bread, you proclaim his death until he comes. When you drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. Before the whole world, the very thing that they so desperately need to hear, Christ crucified until he comes again. When you come up to receive the Blessed Eucharist upon your tongue, what's happening in that moment? The fulfillment of all prophecy. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father, where every mouth shall call upon the name of the Lord and so be saved. Here in the Lord's Supper, the love of Jesus, who risked it all and gave it all up for you, that love, God's love, it is poured out through the Holy Spirit as Joel prophesied into your hearts, upon your tongues, all flesh within your very body. And it challenges us. It shapes us. It, it is not a love that is content to just let us be. It transforms us and it sends us out, each one of us, on a sweet, sweet adventure in the midst of a world that so desperately needs to hear from the one who now dwells within you, Christ crucified until he comes again. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.